probably the, the coolest story out of this whole thing. And I, I, I don't think I've shared it with too many people. I don't share it a lot of times because I can't, I can't share it without crying. But so my parents moved to Pensacola, Florida in 1977 and I was born in 78 and they had me, um, dedicated at birth at this church that they were going to. And he said, when, when they took me down to the altar to have me dedicated, I was just like throwing a big fit and screaming and crying. And the pastor, you know, made the comment to my family of just how strong my lungs were because I was carrying on. And, um, told my dad that um, he said this child will be a voice for his generation and my dad was like I couldn't tell you that for 33 years because I never wanted to put pressure on you he goes but I knew when you started singing Christian music and I saw the effect that those songs were having on people that that was kind of like this thing and I was like wow so I was kind of like how do you how do you do that How, how does it I don't know that I mean that was just like father's love you know and I was like man he was like yeah so he's like but he said I feel like that was spoken over you at such an early age he's like I never thought about it until you started he's like when you taught yourself how to play guitar at 19 I was like okay that's weird people don't just teach yourself how to play guitar and so but anyway um yeah and so that was kind of that, that's what kind of topped it off and so I just remember when I did my first showcase for the record label after I got my record deal um, they kind of shut down the, the office and everybody from the label came out. And my first showcase was for all the Christian radio programmers in the country. And um, I remember half the label was like, what's this, like, this going to be like? And they were, and, and everybody was like, we don't know. We've never heard him live. Like, but we think it's going to be good. And so oh my, God. my dad's there that day. And like, and like the whole label couldn't stop watching him because he was just like, he would break down and then like go gather himself, come back out and just break down. Before we get started today, I would be remiss if I did not thank our partners over at Proper Creative. Proper Creative is a production on demand company and they monetize e-commerce platforms. They have a marketing powerhouse team from graphic designers, web development, photographers, videographers, market analysis, digital marketing strategists, and of course, social media experts. They help companies from development of content and products to the execution of digital strategies for e-commerce. They provide both full service and a la carte services for businesses that sell direct to the consumers. For me today, I am wearing a proper creative branded shirt. This is the Level Up Podcast shirt. You can get it. And uh, this is something that we send to all of our guests that come on our show. Our partners send them a gift package, and it's brought to you by Proper Creative. Thank you so much. You can follow them on social media, Instagram primarily, at P-R-O-P-R Creative. Again, they're an L.A.-based company, so they do things a little bit cooler than most. They spell proper, P-R-O-P-R Creative. Follow them on social media, Instagram, and give a shout-out. Thank you so much, again, to our brand partners, Proper Creative. Welcome to another week of Level Up. I am Matt Rogers, your host, and as always with me, the gorgeous one, the co-host and engineer. Look at him, Eli Adelman. How are you? He, I'm co-host now. Co-host? I was this producer. I give you a different title every week. It's it's co-producer, engineer, and then now you're co-host. How about that? Well, dude, because the reviews, a lot of times everyone asks, like, you know, we need to hear from Eli more. So I think, you know, uh, you know, 
teaser alert of our guest today, a little more of Eli, a little less of me. Oh, man. Look at that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, are you excited? Dude, I'm excited. Backdrop is different. Um, I wanted to move inside of the house today instead of in our uh, mobile studio because uh, – we got a big deal here with us, and not just in the stats I'm about to read you, but in uh, stature as well. This man right here, he had four Grammy nods, took one home for the best contemporary Christian album. How about this, man? Three number one hits, and you know every single one of them as I do. He's the first CCM artist to begin his career with back-to-back -back number one singles. That doesn't happen, and if that wasn't enough, he was nominated. This is like crazy. Nominated for 19 GMA Dove Awards, and he took home six of them. And it's the bomb because he's my neighbor. He lives like two <laughs> blocks away. Zach Williams in the house. What's up, man? How you doing? Dude, I'm freaking pumped, obviously. Was, I mean, That was an intro right there, bro. I got to have to go out on the road. I mean, me. yeah, let me be your, uh, your intro <laughs> guy. Hype, man. Dude, the crazy thing is, so like, as, like, it's crazy. This is a lifetime career for most people when you read those stats but like dude you kind of like we're gonna get into your story but sure. this kind of started in like five or six years ago right yeah uh 2016 i signed a record deal with provident and it's about five years four and a half years yeah but here's the crazy thing that you viewers need to know it didn't just start five years ago because a lot of people yeah come in at like the middle of your story yeah. and they're like, Oh, I want what you have. You're like, dude, you don't know what I've been through. Well, that's the funny thing. I mean, most people, the new guy comes on and they're like, man, he just came out of nowhere, but they don't, they don't know about the 20 years that it took to get there overnight. You know what I mean? So 100%. yeah. And it, and it was a good 20 years. I'd say maybe more than that. Your story's unbelievable. So just a background of how, how Zach and I uh, met uh, a buddy of mine. I moved out here from California five years ago and you know, we were blessed to live where we live, man. Yeah, man. I mean, there's just great people, talent everywhere, whether it's TV show hosts or there's musicians yeah. everywhere, but like big time speakers and pastors and inspirational coaches. Everywhere. Like everywhere. And I, of course, I knew who you were. Uh, I got on to you, obviously, from Chainbreaker. <laughs> I grew up old school Pentecostal, so oh, yeah. I'm like a big Gaither guy. Yeah, man. And so uh, I, when the Gaithers covered it, I'm like, Look, dude, you got everyone. That was pretty cool. Like when you got Bill Gaither doing your music, it's, <laughs> I, you can end, you can quit. I, I used to, I joked with the label like, after that first year, I was like, I'm probably just going to retire this year, like, and go out on top because I don't know if I can do that again. Oh, dude, yeah, you topped it, and you can, you continue. Well, to get thank better. you. But it's funny because like you know, you sing Chainbreakers like, Chainbreakers, and then Bill Gaither <laughs> sings like, Chainbreakers. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've actually, I've actually snagged a few of those gospel licks that. uh that one of them, one of the crab boys does. I'm like, I, I put that into the song whenever I do it live. So, pretty so, cool. And they're right around. You know, they're yeah. an hour away they're or less. Far, I know. They're good friends too. They're good people. Yeah, they're um, good people. I might have Aaron on this show. You should. Yeah. yeah, I really should, huh? You should get him and Jason together. That would be and cool. see see who you could. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. We could play, Eli. We could play like a little game with the crab brothers, and then just you know, kind of sing it off, or who sang it better? That would actually be funny. Um. <laughs> But, yeah, we met through a mutual friend of mine, Todd, who moved out here as well. And he's like, dude, Zach Williams is, like, our neighbor up the street. And I'm like, no way. So, I, you know, like, I fanned out a little bit. But, like, I didn't <laughs> want to bug you because every time, like, I saw you in a Sprouts or around there, like, everyone's just, and I'm like, 
God, that must drive them crazy. I don't want to do that. It's all good, man. I, I like I said, I I feel fortunate to be here. So like, man, never never. I'm always like, don't feel don't feel afraid to come up and talk because I'm just a normal dude. Like, I, I like I said, I'm just a kid from a small town that somehow ended up, you know, here, and it's it's. It's crazy. I pinch myself every day. You really are, but you're a good guy too. Like a lot of you don't know that Zach doesn't know me too well. Like he knows because we're neighbors and stuff. But like two years ago, when we had our first fundraiser for our kid for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, you gave a very generous donation. You were gonna play, but you were on the road. But I just want you to know personally that meant oh like, man so much to my family. And Thank I, you. We don't know, you know, my wife and your wife, Crystal, they're like Facebook friends. Yeah. But we've never really kicked it yep. yet. We really want we, to. We need to. Yeah. Our wives really get along. But like for you to do that, like it just was like, like people don't do that. Like, uh, I appreciate it. I love you, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's, I mean, your story is amazing. Take us back to the beginning. Cause like we said, a lot of people enter in the middle of your story or when you're at your height, but they're like, well, you know, he, you know, he popped in 2017 and yeah. he's got, you know, 20, I mean, from 2017 to now, your awards have been what most people don't even get in a lifetime. And people would say like, well, he's only been doing it for four years, but that's not the truth. No, it's, you know, I mean, it's, I think it started early. I mean, you, you always, I mean, for me, I was, I was always taught like God's got a plan for your life. I, I remember growing up as a kid, you know, my parents would pray Jeremiah twenty nine eleven over me. And which is it's it's for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper not to harm you for hope in the future and you know I never as a kid you're like oh that's sweet mom and dad you know praying for me it didn't make any sense until honestly just a few years ago like just how much that just somebody speaking that over your life for that many years and how long it took for that to happen you know I know you know there had to been days that my family were like what did I do wrong God like what did I do to deserve the way he's living his life. And so I'll kind of take you through that. Like when I grew up in, I grew up in church, my dad, my dad led worship. My mom, she sang at church. Uh, I mean, honestly, my like earliest memories were like crawling around on floors at church during music practice and like opening up guitar cases and picking on strings. And, um, you know, but I never, the music thing was never like, I, I didn't catch the bug. Like I just remember being around it. Um, I never really sang much, but like the thing I wanted to do was, was play sports. And I was a big basketball fan and my dad and his yeah, you're brothers. Huge. And, when you walk in here, I mean, that hat <laughs> even makes you look bigger. How big are you? I'm, a, I'm almost six, seven. So, but I wasn't that big growing up. Like I was, I was just a skinny lanky. But man. when you, and when you walk in a room too, with the boots and with the hat, like, dude, you look kind of like good Trace six, eight, six, like six, nine. Yeah, ten, probably. Dude, Who knows? In, it's like, whoa. But, um. So yeah, man, I, I just like I grew up in this small town and I was like, I just had this family that just always told me I could be anything I wanted to be. Like I just I never, you know, even though we didn't have all the money in the world, I never wanted for anything. And I had this support system in my my hometown, my family. And uh, you know, I thought, well, the only way I'm gonna get out of this small town when I get older is like to get a basketball scholarship. And my dad and his brothers had been like basketball stars and stuff, and so that was really like that's what I did. Like from the time I was old enough to play basketball, I started playing and I, I mean, I ate and slept it like all through middle school and junior high and high school. But around 10th grade, ninth, 10th grade, I got mixed up, you know, with the crowd that's, you know, slipping out after school and drinking beer. And then that, you know, next thing I know I'm 
slipping out after school and meeting at the truck stop and, you know, getting high. And, and I just carried that into, you know, my 12th grade year of high school. And um, I was being recruited by some Division One schools for basketball. And uh, at semester break of my senior year, um, there was a big ordeal that went down in high school. And, and I ended up dropping out of high school. Um, and I got my GED. And Really? Yeah, there was, you know, we got accused of, of buying and selling drugs in the locker room at school, which which never happened. I mean, I wasn't doing things right, but I was never doing that. You know, I was just a dumb kid, you know, smoking pot. And but somehow it turned into a bigger thing. And but it's crazy how even though you didn't do that, you got labeled as that because I did, of the yeah. people you're rolling with. And, and I stuff, feel right? like I, I was kind of like me and a few other kids were kind of we we were just kind of made an example of, you know, and and uh, and so I, I dropped out of school. I got my GED. My dad owned a construction company. I went to work for my dad. I worked for a year. And while I was working for him, um, I was playing in like a men's league, playing basketball. And I met this guy, and he was like, hey, man, I went to I went to college in northwest Arkansas at this junior college. Uh, I can probably get you a tryout if you can, you know, if you can leave that stuff alone for a few years and, you know, get your nose clean, basically. And I was like, yeah, dude. So I, I so go what, up. What were you doing? Were you just smoking pot or were you doing coke? Were you no, doing I was I was just at that time I was just drinking and smoking pot, you know, just right. stupid kid stuff, you know. And right. And had I I would have probably, you know, at the time, it would have probably just ran its course and I'd have grown out of it. But instead, you know, I used that as a crutch after things started happening to me to just try to, you know, ease the pain or fill the hole from the things that I'd done in my life that I didn't accomplish. And so I was playing in this men's league and the guy's like, Hey, I can get you a tryout. So I walk on to this junior college in Northwest Arkansas and I try out and I make the team get a full scholarship. Yeah. And I moved three hours away from home. Now at that point, were you clean or did you still like do the college party and where you, I was still, still partying with my buddies, you know, still doing that and just, and, uh, move up there. And, you know, you put a bunch of guys that were the star athlete on their high school basketball team and you throw a bunch of girls you know, that you're trying to press into it. Sure. And it turns into just an, an all-star party team every night. And that was pretty much what my first couple of years of college were like. And uh, the day before my freshman season started, I was in a walkthrough practice, and I jumped up to, to dunk one and just goofing off, and I didn't have my shoes laced up, and I landed on a guy's foot, oh, tore no. five ligaments in my ankle, and redshirted my freshman season. And there was an old guitar – uh, in the corner of my apartment that my roommate from Hot Springs, Arkansas, had brought down. And I remember just staring at it and thinking, I'm going to teach myself how to play that guitar. I really? Couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere, and I was, like, stuck at home. Was it because, like, you were bored, or did you have, like, a passion, like, you were drawn to? It was, like, a moment? Or? I didn't know what it was. I just, it was there, and I couldn't go on any of the trips. I was in a cast. I was stuck in this apartment, and I was like, I've got to have, you know, I've got to have some, some outlet, something to do. And so I, I went and bought a a poster and taped it to my wall and sat on the edge of the bed and started teaching myself how to play chords and uh, came back home to Arkansas and grabbed my dad's old guitar, took it back to college. And the next year and in, in my sophomore year, I took a creative writing class. And did it ever cross your mind that you were going to be a musician or you did know, you just do it because you liked it? It never crossed my mind. Never, never once did it cross my mind. Um, you know, I thought at the time when I picked the guitar up, and kind of caught the bug. I was like, well, this will this will help me get, you know, the girls. You know, like, I want to be a rock star. And and unfortunately, the you know, when I taught myself how to play music and fell in love with writing songs, I fell in love with that lifestyle of, like, hey, if I'm going to be a rock star, like, I got to live that life. 
And right. like, I was like 110% at anything. So I threw myself into this life and was just like, you know, I lived from the time I was like 20 years old until the time I was 33, just pretty much as reckless as you could live from, from, you know, day in and day out, like not really knowing what the next day was going to be. And, and, uh, you know, that's kind of where, you know, I just kind of got into the end of my rope. I, I met my wife when I was 29. I met Crystal when I was 29 and I'd been touring in this Southern rock band for about a year. And, but you had already been married before you met Crystal. I'd right? been married. Yeah. I'd been married for about four years in my mid twenties. And to be honest, like just drug use and alcohol use was what ruined that. I mean, I couldn't, did you, you meet know, her in that world? I did. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. I just, you know, met through mutual friends at a party and just kind of didn't want to change. And, you know, people get tired of that and want to move on. And, and, uh, and so when I met, when I met Crystal, I was about a year into playing in my Southern rock band. I had a band called Zach Williams in the Reformation. And, uh, you know, we were on the outside to the average person looking in, they thought we were, you know, about to get a record deal and sure. doing all these cool things. Cause we were going to Europe and touring and things like that. But really what was going on is we were working construction jobs all week so we could play four days a week and, you know, pay to go play and leave our families and you go, go play rock star. And, it wasn't paying the bills and all it was doing was causing more fights. And by that time, my wife had had, we'd had a little boy together. And so kind of fast forward from, you know, roughly around 2009 to 2012, I was, I was just in a dark, dark, dark place. And wow. Cause it's crazy. Cause it's not that long ago. No, dude, it, it really wasn't. So yeah. So we're, we're, le we're getting ready to go to Europe for a month, go to Spain and do a tour. And Crystal was pregnant with our daughter, Delilah. And I just remember being just like, I mean, I was dark. Like she would, she, she would say sometimes you, you know, everybody thinks you're the happiest person, but you're, you gotta be the saddest person I know. And it was just kind of, I was just kind of one of those guys that just like took the lid off the bottle and just turned it up strictly to blackout and just forget about. You know, so we're not talking about beer. We're talking what are you, what like are you, whiskey, a whiskey you know, like a just whiskey, just blackout on just anything really. Like I was the guy that like party started when Zach got there. Yeah, party didn't stop till Zach left. You hand me something, I'm taking it. I didn't ask what it was. I just knew it might make me feel better. So let me ask you this, because I mean, there's so many praying parents out there. I know I had, you know my my mom and dad were prayer warriors, and I went through my whole college football thing, and you know, and I did the same thing. Maybe not to that degree, but I did party and stuff. What what happens? Why does that happen to kids with good parents? Because, I, I mean, I even read, you know, when I was reading about you, you kind of say that there was nothing really more your parents could have done. No, right? and there wasn't. I think, you know, I think for myself, like, I looked back. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see that until I gave my life to Jesus. I couldn't accept it or own it I couldn't man up about it like I could not you know take that and say it was my fault because I would I always wanted to put the blame on everybody else like I looked back to my high school you know not graduating and tried to put that on my coach for kicking me off the team mm -hmm. uh, I went to you know not graduating college with my graphic design degree to well I didn't get along with my teacher because she didn't like me and I went to my first marriage and you know everything I was always looking to like it wasn't my fault you know and so I would say when I when I met the Lord, that was when I kind of was like, 
well, it's, it's all been my fault. Like, and I. But you knew the Lord at a young age. So when you say you met the Lord, did, was there like some kind I would, of? I would say event. I, yeah, I would say you know, growing up as a kid, I had experiences. I had like encounters. I feel like whenever I was a kid in church, little things that would happen, kind of make you feel like you was about to start bawling, and you'd go to yeah. the bathroom, kind of collect yourself, and and then I wouldn't go back because I didn't like that feeling. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that it. I, I, I feel like now it was some sort of calling God had on my life, but. I didn't like the way it made me feel, and so I didn't go. And uh, but yeah, I, I think you know for me, you know, I was I was on that tour. I was I was just in this dark place, and I remember my wife saying, you know, basically like if you can't make some changes when you get home, I'm out. Like I'm done. So you're on the verge of maybe divorce so I'm on the, number two. The, the, the verge of a divorce, losing my kids. You know, I, I was like, and I sure don't want I don't want somebody else raising my yeah. kids. Crystal, your wife. For those of you who don't know, we won't get too much into it right now, but she has an amazing oh, redemption yeah, story too. At this time, was she already on fire for the Lord? No, Walker. Okay. No, we neither one of us were. We just knew that, just from you know, like you said, praying parents. Like my parents would, you know, they would come over and sit and pray with me on the couch after a crazy party night. And wow. second they'd leave, I'd go out and spark a joint and get high. And she was just always like, why, why do they do that? Like, she was like, you need your butt kicked. And they're coming over here and loving you. She was like, I don't get it, you know? And so, wow. but I think that's what started to make the turn is she saw that and she was like, what's, what is this? Like, I want that in my life. And so we both knew like we needed Jesus. I knew it from the way I was raised, but I never really like made that commitment to be like, okay, I'm, this is it. I'm, I'm done with this. And so we're on this tour and, um, literally like two weeks into a month long tour. And, you know, I'd had this like crazy binger night and I called my wife and I'm like, can't even hardly talk and she can't understand me. And I mean, she's already called my parents. It's like, I'm done with this dude. Like I can't take it anymore. Man. And literally the next day I remember being on that bus and I was just kind of like, okay, I was like, God, I know you're real, and if you are, prove it. Like, and if you do, yeah. I'm done. And literally, the next day, we were driving an, about eight hours across Spain, and our our bus. I was. I, I'll never forget it. I was. John Mayer had a record came out. It's called Born and Raised. It had come out that summer. Yeah. Uh, Greg Allman had put out a um, doc, an, like an autobiography called My Cross to Bear. I'm reading this book on my iPad. I'm listening to John Mayer's music. Everybody on our bus is like kind of like passed out sleeping. And I just remember kind of looking around and thinking, man, it's kind of calm. Like it's never like this on the bus. Everybody's usually cutting up. So I pulled my headphones out and our bus driver was scanning stations and it stops on a radio station. And I hear just a snippet of redeemed by big daddy weave. And I was like, <laughs> Whoa. And I knew it was a Christian song because my dad played, you know, Christian music on his job site. And I knew I just, I'd been around it enough to know and dude, the song just hit me. And I went back to the hotel and I listened to this song over and over and over. And I called Crystal. I said, hey, I'm I'm done. And she was like, yeah, right. You know, like, you're you're not done. Right. It's like, I've like, heard this before. Yeah, and right? I, was like, I was like, no, I'm done. And I kind of explained to her what was going on. And I was like, but you need to, like, keep it quiet because I've got two weeks left. And if the guys find out, like, it's going to be a long, long time. And so, so I come home from this tour, and I just remember, like, coming in, you know, hands and knees crying, you know, sorry for everything I've done, missed, you know, all these things that I've missed them, you know, kids growing up and can you forgive me kind of moment. And she was just like, yeah. And, and so I remember putting down music and was, I was just kind of like, okay, we're going to find a church in our hometown. 
Let's go. Going to church. Of Arkansas. Yeah. And we lived and in Jones. Right? No, like this 20, was in 2013? 2012. 2012. Okay. And so on June 10th of 2012. Eight and a half years ago. Yeah. So eight and a half years ago. And I remember um we lived in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and there was this this big Southern Baptist church. And I grew up like you. I grew up uh borderline Pentecostal kind of assembly of God or non-denominational, whatever you want to call it. You grew up in Assemblies of God? Oh yeah. And Me so too. I, I was Which, by the way, not like the snake drink no, poison, none of that. but like the evangelist like, like praise God. Oh yeah, like <laughs> it was Holy Ghost fire stuff. Yeah. You know? But uh I just remember um I remember like I forgot the Holy Ghost fire just got me. The, when so when you oh, got yeah. home, your hands and knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I just remember we found this church in our hometown, and uh, big Southern Baptist church. And I was like, I'm not gonna like this. Like, music's not gonna be good. You know, I was just right. like in my I was in my head. I was like, they're not. You know, and at the time I had hair down to about the middle of my chest. I was wearing bell bottoms and, you know, kind of looked like somebody out of Leonard Skinner. And I was yeah. like, they're not going to want me there. You trimmed your beard, by the way, since the last did, time yeah. I saw you. Sorry. It's, it's a little bit shorter. No, I know. Yeah, His is looking like good. like my man Eli's. So, all right. But, so. Uh, so I was like, they're, you know, this is not going to be the place. And and everybody, like, everybody that didn't go there called it Six Flags Over Jesus. It was just this big church, you know. Right. And I'll never forget, like, we walked into this church and I just, I remember just feeling like, this is, man, this is exactly where we need to be. And everybody was so <laughs> nice to us and just really accepted us. And it was a, a few months down the road, you know, I, I'd put my, I'd put music down and I was like, I'm just going to concentrate on like this relationship with my, my family, with my kids, with God, kind of get that right. And so at like, this point too, you're just a normal guy. No one really knows who you are. Nobody right? knows me other than the front man for this Southern rock band in our hometown. Right. You know, this wild dude that gets kicked out of bars and has done all this stupid stuff. Like and that's you never who they felt knew judged me. when you walked in there? Or I, I thought I was going to, but I didn't. And that's the thing. That's what that's really changed it. I was like, this is going to be awful. And never felt that way. Like it actually felt like what the church was supposed to feel like. And the cool thing, too, and I want to say this because I know we have a lot of female listeners out there and a lot of parents that listen, is that, you know, the the prayer of the of, of the, the fervent prayer availeth much. And I know that there's a lot of parents out there that are praying and you're not seeing a breakthrough in your kids. And that's where I believe and Zach's stories, you know, testament to it in mine is that there's supernatural things going on behind the scenes through your prayers that. Are, yeah. are working and that are closer than you think. And then also, like, a lot of parents feel guilty because their kids are going down a path that they didn't think. And it's like, look, man, you know, it, I, I just don't want the parents to feel so weighted down because a lot of, like, look at, if 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 parenting was a reflection of, of the only reflection, like, then yeah. God screwed up a lot because he's got a lot of bad kids, Well, I right? think the thing is, is, like, I think the one thing with parenting, I know the one thing with that, that made the difference with my parents is, all you all you really can do is plant that seed yeah. and you water that seed and you kind of cultivate that seed. And then after that, that plant's gonna grow and do what it wants to do. Like yeah. but it has that root. You know what I mean? And that's what I had. I had a root. Good. And so I was rooted in that. And so yeah, man. So we're going to this church. I've kind of put music down and we're we're taking every class that we can on Wednesday night. We're going Sundays and, and Sunday nights and all this stuff. And then um I remember the worship pastor at the church, they, they kind of knew my story and they just kind of been watching my family and watching us grow. And he was like, man, we're, we're doing this thing on Sunday and we, you know, we would like to have you sing this song. Would you be interested in singing it? And I was because like, they knew you were a Southern rock singer. Yeah. And they knew who I was, you know? And, uh-huh. and, um, I was like, yeah, man, I, I said, I'd, I'd be interested. And so they sent me this song and it's, it's called my life. It's called life song. 
It was by Casting Crowns. And I show up to this, like, practice, kind of just, like, not knowing what it is, just learning the lyrics to the song. And it's, like, all these people from Celebrate Recovery with all these, like, cardboard testimony thing. And I'm like, oh, Lord, yeah. what have I gotten myself into? And I'm trying to read <laughs> these signs as people are walking up, and I'm, like, freaking bawling, crying, trying to get through a song. Oh, I'm like, yeah. I, can't, I can't do this, you know? I ended up making it through it. It was just this amazing moment. And then a few months later, they start inviting me to, like, be on the worship team and, like, sing a song here and there. Did you like it? Did you want to do that? Or were you kind of like, oh, I'll help the church out? I, I really did. I liked it. And and the more I did it, the more I liked it. And so it was, it was about a year into us going to church there, and the pastor from the church, he was kind of like, he said, man, we, uh, we've been wanting to launch a campus for, for, like, years, and we've just not had the guy to do it. And we really want to reach out to people that, you know, have your stories, people that, you know, have gone through the path that you've gone through, or maybe there's people that got offended or never found their place at church. Like, and we think you're the guy to lead it. And we honestly like, aren't going to tell you how to do it. Like we're going to let you pick and choose the music. And what we want to do is just have live worship and a simulcast, you know, screen pop down. Would you be interested? And I was kind of like, wow. And so I worked for him for a year part time. We launched this campus. It was called the refuge and grew pretty. This is what? 2013, 2014. Yeah, I was in about 2013, they launched the campus, and um, I worked there for a year part-time, and then in 2014, I went on full-time, and we had two campuses at that time that I was leading. I was leading a college service. I was kind of campus director. You were probably busier back I was, then than I you really are now. was, you know. I was, <laughs> I was doing, you know, I was doing all the connections ministry and, and calling all the people and checking in on them and hospital visits, and I mean, it was crazy, like, but I loved it. I was like, man, I'm... Like this is this is what I've dreamed of doing. Like, so you weren't the worship leader; you were the pastor. I would say I was. They called me a connections pastor, but I was really like a worship leader. I didn't have Do you like any. To speak? Do you like to preach? I'm. I'm not. That's not my thing. Like okay. I feel like my my sermons are in about three and a half minutes in a song. That's right. about it. You know, which I think you can pack that in there and, and reach people with music. That's that's a powerful thing. I can't watch. Fear is a liar. The video without crying. Oh, it's impossible. In that fact, a, that's my challenge to the viewers. YouTube, Fear is a Liar, <laughs> Zach Williams, Z-A-C-H, and Try Not to Cry. Yeah, well, Go ahead. That, it's still tough for me, even singing them. I mean, singing these songs, sometimes you find that person in the crowd that, you know, needs to hear it, and you're just kind of like st- stuck on them, and you're kind of like trying to make it through the song. But I would say when I started leading worship for that campus, I had this moment where I was, uh, I was leading worship one Sunday, and I just remember coming home and telling Crystal, I was like, you know, I really think like this is – what I'm supposed to be doing. I said, this has really been the first time I've ever been on stage and felt comfortable in my own skin and not feeling like I'm having to put on a show or get somebody's attention. Like it's not about me. It's about this, like this vertical moment that we're having. And, you know, really it's for this audience of one. And, and she was kind of like, yeah, I think this is what you're supposed to be doing too. And, and so I I was still kind of on the fence about maybe, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm working at the church and doing all this stuff. And Crystal signs us up to go to, uh, a prison. She she actually signs herself up to go to a prison and share her testimony uh, with with some women, and she comes home and she is just like on fire. And I'm like, hold on, slow down. You know, this is not <laughs> this is not for me. Like this is your thing. She's like, no, you got to go. You're like, you've got to go. You got to take your guitar, take some of those songs you've been writing in the bathroom and sing them. Yada yada yada. So and you're I'm, writing your songs at this point so too. Huh? At that at that time, I had started writing some new music. Are you performing them in church too or no? And I was yeah, we were doing some of them with my worship band. And I had this song called Wash Clean, uh, and it was one of the first songs I wrote whenever I got saved. And 
Um, ironically enough, I wrote it on the side of a bathtub, but that's another that's funny. But well, anyway. no, what, what is it? Because in like your bio, like you would go into the bathroom and you would write songs on the edge of your bathtub. Of my tub. Well, we Why? had well, we had this like jacuzzi tub and it had a good yeah. little seat on the edge of it, and <laughs> it was away from everybody. And I could shut our bedroom and shut yeah. the bathroom, put some towels down, and I could get loud and not bother anybody else. And it was kind of my little studio and the acoustics were pretty good. So Zach, you've been in the bathroom yeah. for an hour and a half. What are you doing exactly. there? You're like, I'm actually writing songs to Jesus. So, so I was writing these songs and she was like, she knew what I was doing. And so she said, take the, take some of your songs. And, and so I didn't want to go. Well, she signed me up to go anyway. And so <laughs> a good I, wife will do that. So I went and you know, it was kind of in that moment where I was kind of like, you know, a lot of times God, I didn't want to go because I didn't feel prepared to go. I didn't feel like I knew what to say. And and I've learned over the years, like God just wants to hear you say yes. He doesn't, Man. he doesn't, you don't have to be ready. He gives you that. Yeah. He gives you what you need for those moments. And, and that's really what happened that day. I remember we shared our story with these women and we had this kind of invitation time and I was playing, uh, I was playing this song, Wash Clean, head down, just kind of jamming it out. And I look up and there's like 35 women giving their lives to Jesus. And I was like, I was floored, and I was like, goodness. And Crystal was there, right? Crystal was there. Was she like, oh, my Yeah, we were all just kind of like, I mean, everybody that went on the trip, like, from the church was just kind of floored, and I was like, and I feel like in that moment, I really like, and, you know, people talk about that audible voice. Like, I really feel like I heard God say, Zach, if you need an aha moment, here it is. These yeah. these are the, place, these are the uh, people, places, the songs. This is what I have for you. Like, this is what I want you to be doing, and so... It was about a year later, I was leading worship for a Christmas Eve service, and a guy uh, who's ended up now producing my last several records that I put out, he was actually from the same hometown. No way. About 10 years younger than me. Uh, he was living in Nashville. He had gone to Belmont. He'd been living here for about 10 years. Well, him and his wife decided they're going to come in and see family. Well, his wife's dad was a deacon at the church. Mm-hmm. And so they're literally on their way to one of our other campuses, and one of their, like his sister-in-law is like, I want to go to the, the big, big service. Like that's where we need to be for Christmas. So they turn around in the middle of the road on the way to this other place and drive to the campus. I'm leading worship at, and I'm never leading worship in the main service, but our, our worship pastor was out of town for a wedding. And so I'm singing a song and I remember Jonathan, he was like, wait a minute, this is funny to me. Zach Williams is at a church <laughs> at the satellite campus, but never leads Worship in the main campus yeah. because there's a worship leader that's better than Zach Williams. Is that even? Hey, really? I'm. <laughs> I love you, Jeff. <laughs> All right, so you take Jeff's place. So I, I'm I'm leading a song that. That's night. a God moment for sure. And uh, the next morning, I get up and like all of my emails have been hacked by this Jonathan Smith dude who wants to take me out for coffee and hear my stories. A record producer, songwriter, and. I'm like, oh my god! No gosh. one had ever done that with you at that no, point. And I'm like, I've heard this. Well, I, you know, in our old band, it, there were always sure. people like trying to get the showcases. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, I've heard this. You know, I'm kind of over all that. I'm totally happy with what I'm doing. And so we go, we have coffee, and uh, I actually gave him this little EP that I'd recorded that had some songs that I'd written, and he took it back and literally called me within like a week and was like, "Dude, you need to come to Nashville and you need to start writing some music." Who so? Who had Jonathan Smith been with before you? Anyone that we would know? I mean, he's written songs for every. I mean, he was writing songs with Jason Ingram and worked on Chris Tomlin records and just things like that as like studio hands and you know really trying to get his foot in the door. I mean, he'd had a couple number one songs, I think. You know, as a co-writer on 
but but his thing is a producer. He's a producer and wow. a songwriter. And Talk so, about timing, man, and dude, for so, both of you guys. So he he invites me over, and about the time he invites me over, I find out I've got a blown disc in my neck, and I'm going to have to have neck surgery. And I just from basketball back in the day. It was I, honestly from finishing sheetrock. I worked for my dad's construction company for that's no close joke. to 15 years. And uh, so here I am. I'm going to have to figure out a way now, this new job at the church that I'm working to take off. Um, I'm going to miss this opportunity to go right in Nashville. Well, the church is, was so good to me. They were like, take off eight weeks. We'll pay you. Stay home. You can, you can plan everything. We'll get somebody to leave it for you. They totally took care of me. Jonathan calls me and he's like, Hey, my wife's pregnant. It's going to be about, you know, six or eight months before she delivers. Mm-hmm. Why don't we regroup it into the summer and you come over? And so in the summer uh, around June of 2015, I'll start driving back and forth to Nashville. And I think, which is what, like six hour drive? Four, four, four hours. hours. Okay. So the third trip that I came over, I had like a, an entire week plan um, of riding. And it was on the Friday, on the last day of the week. Um, I met this girl named Mia Fields. Ooh. Yeah. And come so, on, baby. So I meet Mia. Um, Jonathan and Mia have been working all week, and he's just like, dude, you're going to love her. Um, she's just such a force, and, you know, she's she's great to work with. And, you know, she, she's take, she's kind of, you know, doing me a favor in, in writing with us today because nobody knew who I was. And uh, and so basically, like, we're sitting in a room, and honestly, I'm doing the same thing right now. We probably spent two hours talking about yeah. our stories, and she had a sister who was struggling with some some, some stuff, and um, I was telling her stuff I'd gone through. And I was really, at the time, really big into my prison ministry, and we were talking about it, and she just blurts out, you should write a song called Chainbreaker. And I was yeah. like, you can't write a song called Chainbreaker. I was like, Break Every Chain was just on the radio. You know, it was a big worship song. And she was like, you can do whatever you want. And she was like, as big as you are, <laughs> right? Goes, People are going to believe you. And so, yeah, right when you walked in, yeah, I, I've never made a um, charcuterie board with uh, <laughs> treats for anybody. But when you walked in, I'm like, we got to make them something. Uh, you can get whatever you want, Zach. Go ahead. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, so we literally spent like two hours talking. She blurts that title out. And it wasn't like 10 minutes later, Jonathan like spun around to the piano and he played that opening, like, part to the song and i just i just said if you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles and he was like wait a minute what'd you what'd you say he was like uh, he's like write that down and so you know we started that song and um i mean it wrote itself in like 15 minutes and like yes. i remember like driving back to arkansas that night with just like wow like god will you just like take this song all over the world you know kind of like I don't know, this feels special. Like, can you just do something with this? And that kind of was my prayer. Every time I drive back and forth to Nashville, I start driving back and forth. And before I know it, I've pretty much written an entire record and I'm not even signed to a label yet. And so it was about six months later, um, A&R at the record label came over. He wanted to visit. He comes to the church service. So Chainbreaker's on the shelf for six months? Yeah. That's so cra- it's, it's Did other people have the opportunity to grab it? Jason Crabb heard it. And wanted to record it. Oh. And, and my label was like, no, we're going to hold on to that. Well, that's a good move then. And so. Oh, man. <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't hear about it until I'd already gotten a record deal. Like, nobody had heard about it for six months. So the A&R from, from Sony comes over from Sony Provident. Hey, let me ask you a question real quick. So after you write that, do you guys kind of like, oh, my gosh, this is it. You, oh, like, we, you hold it like 
like yeah, you know, kind of like, like Lady Annabelle was Need You Now. Like we're gonna I hold think this. They knew how special the song was way more than I knew because I wasn't in that world yet. Like I wasn't in that like what works for radio. Honestly, I drove back thinking, well, this is way too country and doesn't sound like anything on Christian radio. They're never gonna play this. And right. I'm a nobody. Like nobody knows who I am. So that was kind of my prayer. Like, you know, God, would you just like open the gates? Like let me let me get this song to everybody. Well, in November of 2015, um, my AR rep comes over. He says he just wants to come hang, come to a worship service, go out to lunch. And so for people who don't know, what's an AR rep? Uh artist representative. He's he's basically like my liaison between, you know, the big wigs at the label and okay. kind of goes to bat for me if there's anything I need or so he's pitching you to labels. Yeah, and, and a lot and a lot of times he's 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 like he's kind of the in between when you're working on a record, he's mm-hmm. setting up all that stuff for studio stuff. He's, you know, giving you advice on what you, what he thinks the song could be or this and yeah. helping with mixes and all that. So, cool. but, um, so anyway, we're, um, it's November and, um, he comes over, we go to lunch and we're sitting in a parking lot after church. My family had gone home and I'm, I'm talking to him and he's like, man, I really think, you know, like we need to get you in a band to like do a showcase for the record label. I think there's something, think there's something here and i'm like okay and so i was just kind of like that's great like let's do that he was like first of the year let's get let's get a band together and do a showcase i was like man okay cool and so we uh going about our business and three days later i'm getting ready to like i'm working with my band for like a wednesday night college service. your worship band yeah at church and yeah this is literally three days after you know blaine my a&r rep had gone back to the label I get a phone call at like four in the afternoon right before I'm going to practice. And he's like, Hey, he goes, uh, he's like, Hey, um, he goes, Jonathan played your demo today. We, he, he said, uh, we played your demo today for the, the entire record label for like the, the CEO. And he was like, in what record label it was for Sony Provident here in Nashville. Yeah. He goes, and, uh, he goes, man, this is crazy. Cause this is, he goes, this has never happened to me. He goes, but, they want to offer you a record deal off, yeah! off of that demo. And I was like, let's go. I was kind of like, what? I was like, are you serious? And he was like, dude, I'm just here. He goes, I'm telling you, like, this doesn't happen. And I'm so like, what normally happens? Normally, why like, is that such a big deal? Well, normally you, you know, you you come, you prove yourself with a band. You know, they want to know before they're signing anybody, like, that they can do it, you know? And so he was just like, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> you don't even have a band and you're getting a record deal and, um, you know, I don't even know what other songs you got. He goes, they just heard that one, and and he was like, the head of the label was like, that's a career song. Like that is a launching somebody's career and like playing for. The and rest it's not of like it. we're talking like Blue Couch Records. It's like yeah. real freaking yeah. Sony. And here. I was like, man. So I was just kind of like, are you serious? And so here I am. I'm on, I'm 38 years old. And I'm like, I'm signing a record deal. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And so, <laughs> so that was just kind of that was really how it all started. Like, and that's that's kind of. You know, a year later we moved to Nashville and, you know, and then, then you kind of get in your head and think, well, can I, can I do something better? And, you know, you have those days where it's like, I don't know if I can ever write another song again. And so when does Chainbreaker blow up? So Chainbreaker come out in the summer of your song, right? Yeah, It came out in June of 2016. So another almost seven or eight months after I signed my, you know, after I started talking to a label, it came out. I remember the day I signed my record deal, um, Terry, the head of our label, he kind of slapped me on the back. He said, have you recorded that song yet? And I was like, nope. And he was like, better go record it. We're sending it to radio in a month. 
And I was like, what? So is, at this point, is it on you to record and put everything together, or do you have no. people that do that? So the label, you know, they, okay. at that point, like, they they set it all up. And so we went down to Blackbird here in Nashville and yeah. recorded Chainbreaker. And, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store. And, and I mean, that, for those of you who don't know Blackbird Studios, it's kind of like, you know, the, uh, up, I mean, it's, it's the creme de la creme it's, of it's recording studios. has been there. Yeah. But, uh, and that, that was it. Like, that's how it started. And, you know, that's, that's the journey, I would say, from 1998 until 2012. I played music from 98 till 2012. So it only took you almost two decades. <laughs> so almost <laughs> People 20, were like, oh, it yeah. happened in five years. No, so 20, that's not the 20 truth. 20 years of, of grinding it out, 20 years of feeling like there was something there. And, and the, I think the thing that made it all for me, probably the, the coolest story out of this whole thing, and I, I, I don't think I've shared it with too many people. I don't share it a lot of times because I can't, I can't share it without crying. But so when I started playing southern rock music, my dad, my dad, I, you know, I worked with my dad. I worked for a construction company. We worked together for almost fifteen years. And so after I gave my life to the Lord, I remember we were sitting on a job site one day. This was before. This was when I was part time working at the church, and we're we're literally sitting on a box of sheetrock mud, sharing a can of you know, viney sausages, you know, and yeah. we're just talking, kind of having this heart to heart. And he's just kind of telling me about all this, you know, all the years that he prayed for me and the years that he just was like, why did I, what did I do wrong? God, like I did everything you asked. And, you know, why is, why is this the path that he's on kind of thing? And he was like, I, I knew that there was something special when I first started hearing you write songs and play music. He goes, but you were, you know, living in dive bars and getting, you know, stoned out of your mind and drunk every night. And he was like, I knew that that wasn't it. He was like, and I didn't want to tell you anything that was going to make you like, feel like you had to live up to something. So he was like, I never, I've never told you this. He said, but he's like, when, uh, when you signed your record deal and you released Chainbreaker, he was like, it, it came back to me. He said, when we were, so my parents moved to Pensacola, Florida in 1977 and I was born in 78 and they had me, um, dedicated at birth at this church that they were going to. And he said when when they took me down to the altar to have me dedicated, I was just like throwing a big fit and screaming and crying. And the pastor, you know, made the comment to my family of just how strong my lungs were because I was carrying on. And um, told my dad that, um, he said, this child will be a voice for his generation. And my dad was like, I couldn't tell you that for 33 years because I never wanted to put pressure on you. He goes, but I knew when you started singing Christian music and I saw the effect that those songs were having on people that that was kind of like this thing. And I was like, wow. So I was kind of like, how do you, how do you do that? How, how does it, I don't know that. I mean, that was just like father's love, you know? And I was like, man, he was like, yeah. So, He's like, but he said, I feel like that was spoken over you at such an early age. He's like, I never thought about it until you started. He's like, when you taught yourself how to play guitar at 19, I was like, okay, that's weird. People don't just teach yourself how to play guitar. And so, but anyway, um, yeah. And so that was kind of, that, that's what kind of topped it off. And so I just remember when I did my first showcase for the record label, after I got my record deal, um, they kind of shut down the, the office and everybody from the label came out. And my first showcase was for, all the Christian radio programmers in the country. And um, I remember half the label was like, what's this, like, what's this going to be like? And they were, and, and everybody was like, we don't know. We've never heard him live. Like, but we think it's going to be good. And so oh my, God, my dad's man. there that day. And like, 
Pops he was did, there he, with you? Yeah, they, he he comes and, and like the whole label couldn't stop watching him because he was just like, he would break down and then like go gather himself, come back out and just break down. And <laughs> What's they're your like, dad's name? Your da- Steve. Steve, yeah. I need to be a better dad. <laughs> I, dude, oh, I need to be I, a better dad. I know. I'm, but... But anyway, I mean that's that's oh, the man. That's the long story of how how I got here and you know and, and I feel like I just feel like, you know, I've I've learned to write through my experiences, through my scars and I also kind of have learned who my audience is and who the people I'm writing songs for. And so I feel like if I can you know each record kind of write through that season or write through where I've been in my life or something that's relatable to somebody else, I feel like that's you know, that's what I want to be be doing and I feel like you know I feel like Christian radio has really you know really accepted my style and the things I'm doing and hopefully it's opened some absolutely some lanes up for some new artists it's just so refreshing to hear that story because like I said before there's so many parents that are praying for kids that you know are going down the wrong you know going down the wrong road when you hear about your dad Steve like so much like God to lead you like a shepherd soft and just love you back in instead of condemn you and put that on you, even yeah. though he knew the anointing that yeah. was on your life, the calling, but never put it on you until God opened the door to walk, you know, to have you walk through it. It's And you had, just listening to you talk, man, it's, it's cool because you had the anointing your entire life, kind of like King David, anointed a king so young, but went through some stuff until he stepped into that. But, you know, your dad to just trust in God and not put the pressure yeah. on you and let God do what God does yeah. and look at you now, man. I mean, so that day that your dad was crying and you were, you know, you're performing for all the Christian radio. Yeah. Uh, how did it, I mean, obviously it turned out it, great, it, but it, how it was turned, that day? It turned out great. And I, and I remember just um, being terrified of what could happen, you know, a new artist, you know, in my, you know, almost 40 years old thinking basically like I'm starting over, like I'm starting from, from ground zero. And like, if, if something's going to happen with this, it's going to need to happen quick. Cause I've have, to, I've got to provide for my family. And mm-hmm. like, I'm stepping out of a full-time position with benefits into this unknown world of like, this could flop and I could fall, you know, on my face. And right. Where am I at then? How, it turned was, the, out how great. was the church when you left? Cause some churches are, they were great. I mean, they, they, they let good. me do a benefit concert and, Help me out, and so and it was. Let's support Zach. It was on his calling. honestly like let's let's help him out. Like he's he's going into something new. Let's let's raise some money and help him out for the next year. So it was. I mean, it was really cool. Which is but, super smart because you have to send your tithe somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'll never forget that day. There was there was a lady. Her name's Carmen Brown. She's at a studio uh, out of Florida, Joy FM, and she stood up at the end of Chainbreaker, and the whole like that whole radio event, that programmer's event, like the theme was how to break a new artist into the radio. Wow. And she was like, she stood up and she was like, I'm I'm going to break him in Christian music. And she spun that song the very next morning in, in Florida. And Are you kidding that's kind of what kicked it off. Like people heard that and other stations started spinning the song and just kind of, so I'm out. So when you're doing, okay, so educate me and the listeners. So when you're doing that, uh, performance that show it's for Christian radio it was strictly outlets. for the people that program those stations and so f- it's for those program directors to come hear new music from new artists that labels have signed basically so which happens a ton and a ton of times they're like oh that was all great whatever but they don't spin it they don't play yeah. it 
And for you, that lady yeah. stood up and said, I'm going to break this guy. Yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those things like, you know, and I've like the head of our radio team has, has said it a million times. He's like, you know, you usually go to these things and they've heard it all. And nobody gets excited about anything because it's just, you know, it's kind of the norm. Everybody hears it all the time. And I, I remember I was playing, uh, I played three songs. I played a song called Chainbreaker, Revival, and To the Table. When I was playing To the Table, Jeff, my radio guy, was like, I just remember seeing, like, everybody who was on their laptops close their laptop and just start, like, watching. He was like, and he was like, I knew then, like, All right, this is going to be good. Like, this this is going to work. And and so I went out on a tour um, a few months later. Um with myself, a couple other bands. I was by myself with an acoustic guitar every night, just walking on stage singing Chainbreaker and to the table. And and um, Chainbreaker went number one in October that year. And so awesome. Yeah, hung out there for about sixteen weeks, and so it was kind of like, yeah, baby. Then I was kind of like, okay, now now how do I top that? And then I jokingly told my label, I'm like, I'm retiring like, at, <laughs> right? at the end of this year, just so I can. Not have to but you did top it because you are the first artist to ever be a new artist and have back-to-back number one Pretty crazy. debuting singles, which yeah. was what was the next one? Old Church Choir. Old yeah. Church Choir. Yeah. Which is such a cool video, man. Okay, so that's one of the questions I want to ask you. When you're putting together these videos, so you write the song. When you put together the videos, do producer stuff come up with a concept and say, hey, Zach, this is what we want to do? Or do you have input like, no, no, I want I have an old lot. church and I want to do this? I have a lot of input. I, so I went to college for a graphic design degree and I've just kind of got the artsy thing. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've worked really close with like all the guys that have produced the videos of like really kind of like getting what I want to see in that video to happen. You know, and I feel like we've accomplished it on, you know, pretty much everything we've done so far. So the videos are, they're they're kind of like a, it can be fun and it can also be just like a, it's kind of painful kind of getting it to where you want it to finally be. Cause there's so many like edits and things that you need to do to get it there. Or you feel like spots you miss, it could have done better. But um, for the most part, they've all worked out really well. The, the thing that trips me out. I mean, if I'm being honest is my favorite song is fear is a liar of yours. Yeah. I mean, obviously chain breaker, that's like your star spangled banner, obviously. Right. Like yeah. that's your signature, but the thing that trips me out is Fear is a Liar. That one's only got the number three to where the other, like, how does that, does that trip you out? Because again, you can't watch that video and not you, freaking ball you, your eyes I'll out. I'll tell you who messed that up. What? Corey Asbury. What? Reckless Love. Oh. <laughs> that thing hung out at number one forever. I was like, dude, you blocked me, man. Are but, you uh, friends? Like, are you guys all yeah, in the same place? We, we know, cool? I know them all. Yeah, dude. That was a great song. I actually wrote, a song last night with one of the writers for Reckless Love, and I joke joke with him all the time. I'm like, you know, you guys kept me from getting the number one, you know. <laughs> but the thing is, man, that I don't think it's about the number ones. When you see, no. when you see a song that you know you had an idea for, and you know you had you had something that you wanted God to do and use that song. When you see God do that, when you hear the stories of what those songs are doing to people and how they're helping. I don't think it matters what if it's a number fifty or a number one. If it reaches somebody, you know, like I mean, Redeemed was a you know one of those songs that reached me. And there's just a there's a time and a place for those songs on the radio that you know somebody needs to hear it. That's what I think I love honestly most. I'm not trying to patronize you just because you're sitting here in front of me, but one of the things I love most about your style of music is yes, it's Christian, but it casts such a wide net. It has such a vibe that quite honestly, these other Christian artists don't have, you know, they're Christian artists and that's going to be playing, you know, but 
I'll never forget. I was taking my father-in-law who at the time was not a believer back to the airport. And I had fears a liar on there and he's listening and he liked it. And he goes, he goes, Hey, is this a, is this like a Southern rock country song? I'm like, no, dude, this is a Christian song. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I, I thought it might be a Christian song. So I like that because you cast such a wide net to where you can play that in a non-Christian yeah. crowd in a very mainstream yeah. crowd. And that's a blessing to so many. Uh, and that's, I mean, I think that's, that's kind of what I've tried to do. I, I just feel like I'll, I want to write songs that are relatable. That song, when when I wrote Fears of Liar, I wrote that honestly for myself. Like I'll, I'll never forget, I was standing at the Chick Fil A down here, off Mac Hatcher, like with my A and R guy, and we're getting lunch, and he hands me a piece of paper that says Fears of Liar. He's like, "Dude, I've been taking my son to to baseball practice, and this is like painted in the parking garage." And he was like, "I think it'd be a cool song." And I was like, "You have no idea, like, because I was I was literally walking on stage every night with that guitar." singing two songs, scared to death that I, you know, here I am, 40-year-old dude, you know, toured with the band forever. I'm by myself. I'm living on the road away from my family, and I'm like, I've got the devil in my ear going, you don't belong here. You don't deserve this. Like, don't you remember your past? Or what? And I was just kind of like, I needed that anthem for myself to, like, sing over, over my own life every night because I was struggling with those things. And, you know, and that was just one of those one of those things that, like, you know, in turn, ended up being something for somebody else, which is so cool how those things this get is cool how music works. Do you feel different now in this one? You know, I, I will wrap up, and you're going to, you know, we're going to be honored. You're going to play an awesome song for us right now. One of my favorite. I think the video is so cool, Less Like Me. Uh, the video is awesome, by the oh, way. Thank you. It's just so cool. I remember, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But when my wife showed me like a month ago, she's like, Zach, Zach's new video's out. Check it out. Like, I got to tell you that um, cool. that video jacked my shoulder up. Like, ah, driving that bus? Like I really drove that bus. Right. Like when I showed up that morning, it was on a trailer mm-hmm. and they had already told me like, you're not going to have to drive the bus. We're going to shoot it so that we're just pulling it on a trailer. <laughs> and I, I mean, I literally hadn't been there 30 minutes. It's five 30 in the morning. The producer's like, you think you could drive that bus? And I'm like, sure I can. And the old guy that brought it down, he's like, it's double clutch. You think you can, and I'm like, <laughs> tell me how to do it. I was like, I could probably figure it out. And Believe it or not, I started driving that thing. I drove that from six in the morning until five thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. No power steering. Oh jeez. And you know, neck surgery yep. a few years back, and and I'm cranking on that thing. And like the next morning, I get up and I'm tell. I told my wife, I was like, I think I tore something in my shoulder. Did you? Well, I've had a cortisone shot now, and I'm actually fixing to go get an MRI for it. But oh man, yeah, I'm like that thing. It was worth it though. You know, no pain, no gain. Yeah. No, don't worry. This is, uh, you know, we bring heaven in this place, so we'll lay hands on you before you leave. It'll be better. Um, All right, I got to ask this. Uh, Do you have a favorite song, or is it like, oh, they're all my babies, you can't love one more than the other, or do you have, I mean, I would think it would be Chainbreaker because that launched you, but is it something else that where you got your baby? They change, I think, for me, like, for some of the things. I really, like, To the Table is probably still one of my favorite songs to play. Really, like this, this, it's kind of an invitation song. Like, I mean, it is an invitation, and I, I remember writing that song after I read uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. It was it was about Rich Mullins. Brendan Manning wrote it, and I, I remember like just the struggle that Rich Mullins had, like just this like battle that he had, you know, never feeling worthy or never feeling good enough. And I've struggled with that, you know, and I struggle with it still today. You know, being a being a Christian artist, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I wrote Less Like Me is just because I feel like people put you on a, on this pedestal and, and think that 
Well, because he does this, his life's got to be perfect. Sure. And, you know, I feel like I, I'm needing I'm needing Jesus every day. I'm needing to go down to that altar and get saved every day. But right. that's not that's not the case. Like, it's a one and done. Like, we didn't deserve anything he did for us. And there's nothing that can be done to take it away once, you know, once we've asked him in our hearts. And so that was kind of what that song was. It was like this idea of, like, you can bring everything in your life that's ever been done wrong or that you've done wrong to this table that's been prepared. There's a chair with your name on it and it's just waiting for you to come take your seat. And like, that was it. And so I think I love that song because of what it, what it stands for, but I also loved it just because I, you see the people in the crowd when you're playing these songs that need to hear that. And when it clicks of like, Oh crap, is it that easy? Can I just really just go ask Jesus to forgive me? And, and he does. And it's like, yeah, that's, exactly how it works like it's not a fancy prayer it's not any of that it's a heart you know so it's yoke is easy and his burden is light baby and another i mean another powerful video that you have is when you're singing in the prison that is fun that was also powerful man that was a special day uh last question before we get to your performance um do you only sing what you write or do people pitch you their songs kind of like you know crab was going to try to take chain breaker does that still happen, or do you only really like to sing yours? I, I only really like to sing mine because I feel like if I'm a part of, I've, if I've written that, like, I can, I think people believe that more if it's something that I've gone through. Like, I feel like I can, you know, I feel like I can connect with the the listener more because they're going to be like, oh, man, like, I can tell by the way he just said that, like, that dude's been there. Yeah, you know, and I'm and not to say that I wouldn't down the road, but like right, no, that's right where now, you're at right now, that, right now, that's where I'm at. Like I wanna, I wanna be a writer on everything that I'm putting out. All right. Well, speaking of that, uh, will you play a song for I will. us right now? I will. And what will you be playing? Less like me. Let's do this. Hey, thanks for having me on Level Up with Matt Rogers. My name is Zach Williams, and this song is called Less Like Me. Don't get it right Where I talk a talk Did I know walk Miss the moments right before my eyes Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped Somebody with a hand I could have held I just can't see past myself Lord help me be a little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love and faith. A little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Yeah, there's no denying I have changed I've been saved from who I used to be But even at my best, I must confess I still need help to see the way you see Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped Somebody with 
with a hand could have held I just can't see past myself Lord help me be a little more like mercy a little more like grace a little more like kindness goodness love and faith a little more Like Jesus, a little less like. 